Now I'd like uh, to turn to Isaiah chapter 6 again, bearing in mind Romans chapter, uh, Revelation, sorry, chapter 4, um, on the same theme. And I'm not really going to um, uh, deal in any detail with the situation that Isaiah finds himself in here uh, and what surrounds it. Oh my word. Someone's not happy. Um, but we are going to dwell on that theme of the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. That's what is uh, very much the theme of this sermon today. So uh, we remember uh, that. I think uh, that we are... In some ways, a society of, generally speaking, a society of uh, little broken gods. We probably don't often think of that and don't often, we would never think of describing other people or ourselves as that. But in many ways, that's what we are. We're kind of just a whole lot of little broken gods. Uh, We don't image God, the sovereign God as he reveals himself. As we all, you know, sin is coming and, and is kind of distorted and and uh, broken that image. Uh, but rather, rather than imaging him, we've usurped him. And I think that's right. Oh, isn't it right from the very beginning? That is what uh, Adam and Eve were tempted by. Satan says, "You too, you can be like God as well, knowing good from evil." And that really is, has been the seed um, uh, rebellion. The core of our rebellion all the way through is that we've usurped God. You know, however, however differently that might look from Adam and Eve and, and what they did, that, that's what sin causes in our lives. So that as societies, as people, as generations, what we've done is that we, we re- redefine what God reveals about himself. For ourselves, we redefine love. Uh, we redefine justice. We redefine morality. Uh, and we make our godlike decisions about what these things should look like, and at the same time engage in a kind of act of self-worship. So there's this self is enthroned. Uh, you know, the the passage in Revelation is all about God being on the throne. This amazing picture of God being on the throne, and our greatest battle is ourself on the throne, uh, rather than God, and. Uh, the reality of that has just been death to our soul, hasn't it? It has brought in physical death and separation from God, but also just is death to, to who and what we are as we try to be little broken gods apart from God and without God in our lives. And so we're looking, we're trying to, uh, with God's help and by God's Spirit, we're trying to learn more about God, so that we can worship him better. And so that if, we are not, if you're not a Christian today, you will bow the knee before Jesus Christ, who is God the Son, and uh, put your faith and trust, whatever it might be that is keeping you from him, our prayer and our longing is that you will come to know and love Jesus Christ as King and as Head and as Lord and as Saviour. So we're looking at the the revelation God has given of himself, and today is his holiness. Um, I'm I'm sure we all come to that word with our own uh, 
particular angle and, and, and perspective. In the Bible, holiness at its very basic simply means something or some, and it can be something. It needn't be someone. It can be something uh, that's set apart for specific and special use, something that's separate. And it comes to mean something that is other, something that is different, something that isn't like us. And really, that is the core of the teaching of God's holiness, that he's not us. <laughs> That's really the core of it. He's different from us. He's separate from us. He's not just us perfected and magnified a hundred or a million or a billion times. He's simply not us. He is God, and he is holy, and he is separate, and he is uh, set apart. And... Um, Yet the amazing thing about this truth is that uh, Christ, uh, some of that will go on to see this, that Christ shares that holiness with us, which is amazing, really, uh, as, we think, as we'll go on to think about that. So the holiness of God, uh, we're going to think about that just for a moment and what that means for us uh, and how we share in that as Christians. So holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. That's what the seraphs, the seraphs, the angelic beings, whatever they were, we're not quite sure. But they were angelic beings. And here, here they are, uh, wings covering their faces. With wings, they're covering their feet. With wings, they're flying. And they're calling out to one another this antiphonal praise that they are crying out, holy, holy, holy. Uh, they know who God is, and they allow us to glimpse into an unseen world for a moment of who God is, that he is holy. And I think that speaks of at least two things. It speaks of his uh, majestic transcendence. Can I use that phrase? Uh, that he is majestic, uh, sovereign, king-like, and he's transcendent. In other words, he's not close to us. He's far away from us at that level. He's transcendent. He's above us. He's described here as being thrice holy. Um, holy, holy, holy. Maybe there's glimpses there of the Trinity. Um, maybe more than glimpses. Uh, some commentators think it's just uh, speaking of majesty. You know, you repeat that three times in that magisterial kind of statement about who God is. But holy, interestingly, holy, when it's used of God, it's used of God more than anything else in the Bible to describe him. Holy God, holy Lord, holy Jesus. It is, it is the most common ca- description of the character of God. And it simply, rem- and I think we've for- kind of forgotten that. Um, holiness is, uh, well, maybe you don't, I struggle with that a little bit. And, and maybe the emphasis isn't enough on it as it should be. But it's, it's, un- it's used more than anything to describe God. Uh, his transcendent, this unparalleled separateness, beauty, uh, purity, glory that he is. He is, the word means uh, set apart, or it could mean a kind of modern uh, interpretation of the word could be uh, that he's set, um, a cut above. You know we use that phrase? Because the original word, did, it, mean, it meant cut, cut off, cut separate. So I suppose it could really mean that whole a cut above. He's just different from us uh, in that amazing way. He's so not like us. He's so not like us. So different from us. 
You know, and, and isn't that amazing? We spend so much of our time thinking that we know God. And we have him in a box. And we contain him. And we know better than other people. How could other people be so stupid? They don't see and know what we know. We think we have him all tied up. And yet he is so not like us. He is fearful in being so not like us. You know, that's really what comes across here. And even the voice of the seraphs causes the... Uh, uh, the whole place to shake, the doorposts and thresholds to shoot, and the temple was filled with smoke. And you know, maybe that's where we get the kind of smoke machine idea, is it's got this idea of kind of fear and and transcendence. Doesn't really work, does it? But this was this wasn't a smoke machine. This was just a, the awesome sense of the cloud just covering t- too holy to look on, as it were. And uh, you know, Isaiah's response was ruination <laughs> it's strange isn't it we think of, of wouldn't it be great to see more of god and yet we find throughout the bible i'll maybe say this a bit more later that the, the response to people seeing a kind of glimpse of god was ruination was terror was fear for abject fear for their lives because of his transcendence because of who he is his separateness his glory his uh, all, all the different things we've looked at so far so there's this transcendence. That's one thing. And the other thing, which is maybe what we think more of when we think of God as holy, is his um, ethical perfections. Okay? We think of a holy God, you think he's a God who's pure or who's, who's perfect or um, who is uh, just. And that's true. Uh, but it's much more than just that. Uh, it involves that and includes that. It's much more than that. Uh, the holiness of God encapsulates all of these things. So, you know, we, we're never told in the Bible that he is, God is love, love, love. God is just, just, just. God is pure, pure, pure. We're not told. The only time that's repeated is his holiness. His thrice holiness. God is holy, holy, holy. But what he is, is, is a holy love. It's a holy purity. It's a holy justice. So, his holiness really encapsulates all of his being and all of these other characteristics that we might attribute to God in his sinlessness and his purity and his justice and his lovingness and his holy hatred of sin and evil. That's a, that is a challenging thought for us as we kind of rub shoulders with and put our arms around sinful thoughts and behavior. It's something that he absolutely hates in his perfect holiness, and will destroy. Because it separates uh, us from him and is the antithesis of who he is in all his perfection. It's like he knows and he understands it's a cancer. You know, we, we think, God, how could he, how could he be possibly be so uh, dismiss or, or destructive towards sin? Could he not just let it off? Because, but he knows it's a cancer that would destroy this universe if he doesn't deal with it. And we, we, want to, we want to shrink that from kind of vague, general, um, ethical thoughts of the universe into our own lives, into our own hearts as sinners. That God hates our sin, and he will judge that. Uh, as we will see, he has done that in his son. So it's ethical perfection. And in many ways, it sums up the different themes that we've had so far of God being this one God, this existent God, this unchanging God, this independent God, 
glorious, uh, who is eternal, who is sovereign, who is creator. And I just find it really difficult to, to say more than that. I find it difficult to put into words what his holiness means. And I appreciate and I recognize and I know that what we need most is God to reveal that to us through his spirit. We need that most together and we need that most uh, as we uh, live our lives in all that we do. So it's the holiness of God. And it's a holiness that's shared. Now, um, we, theologians, and I'm not a theologian, but theologians uh, tend to put everything in boxes. They systematize everything. And it's very difficult to systematize these things because there's so much overlap, so much that doesn't uh, transfer to us. But the Bible makes clear that he shares his holiness. And that, that, that seems strange when we've just talked about him being separate, being absolutely other, being not like us, being perfect in all his being. And yet the Bible makes clear that at some levels and in some ways he shares his holiness with us. You see, our sin separates and intensifies our separation. And yet our salvation brings us to God. And not just brings us to God, but God shares with us. And that, that's the remarkable truth. So, uh, if we recognize and see and think about a couple of things, that God is uh, absolutely separate and absolutely uh, holy. Now, that was... That was um, one of the ways that was described in the Old Testament was with the, the temple and with the makeup of the temple. So it was divided into lots of things and it kind of got more and more uh, exclusive the further you got into the middle of it. So the middle of it, where the priest could only go once a year uh, representing the people to atone for their sins was called the Holy of Holies. And that was the place that symbolized God's presence. You couldn't just walk into it. You couldn't drift along and just walk into the Holy of Holies because you, were, you would be destroyed. It was a, a really clear indication to the people. There was the Holy of Holies, then there was the holy place, then there was the outer uh, area, and then there was the Gentile court, and so on. There was separations all, until no one could get into this Holy of Holies. And uh, that was uh, separate, uh, completely separate, because it was symbolizing... God's holiness, his unapproachability, separateness from us. Because he's holy, because he's perfect. And then what we have is God in Christ. Because remember, we looked at the Trinity last week. God, the Son of God, is Christ. Christ Jesus, in his holiness coming, in his perfection, in his glory, he's empty, he empties himself of that glory, as it were, and empties himself of not his holiness, but he comes, he empties himself as it were of his separateness from us at that level and comes among, he sees he becomes flesh. Okay, so he comes among, comes into a sinful world. And that's amazing enough. But you know, beyond, what does he do beyond that? Well, Second Corinthians 5, 21, we're told God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we, we may become the righteousness of God. So you've got this sharing, amazing sharing going on where God asks us to give him his sin, as it were. He, he shares our sin. 
He becomes sin. In all his holiness, in all his perfection, hatred of sin, he, became, he doesn't become a sinner, but he becomes sin. He becomes a representative for all our sin. Because he's going to pay the price for it. So that's a remarkable truth of the holiness of God becoming involved in humanity. And the perfect one uh, being punished for our sin, for our evil, and our death. So holiness is personified in Jesus, and yet Jesus faces and uh, experiences and tastes hell, tastes the horror of hell, uh, in order that we might be holy and share in his holiness. So it's it's a kind of, a, a bit of a transaction going on. He takes, in all his perfection, in all his hatred of sin, I think we begin to understand why he bleeds, he sweats blood in Gethsemane as he faces that reality and the separation from his father and all that goes with it. And uh, then on the cross, what happens? What we're told in Matthew, we're told that that curtain, that thick double curtain that's 80 feet high that separates the Holy of Holies from the rest of the world is ripped in two from the top to the bottom. He's going to share his holiness. He's going to let us into his presence. He's going to allow us access to him. We don't need a, a human high priest once a year. We have a high priest in Jesus Christ who has opened the way for us into his uh, reality. That, that curtain ripped is a hugely significant event in the history of the world. We have no concept of how significant it is because he then shares his life, his grace, and his holiness. We enter into his holiness. We enter into relationship. And what does that mean then? That we share in his holiness? Because so far it seems to be that holiness is something that God has, that makes God God. And we're not God, and we're little broken gods in our sinfulness. But he shares with us. Well, it means, that, it means at least three things quickly. It means that we're set apart. In the same way that holy, that's what holiness means. It's set apart or separate. So we are... At, at that fundamental basic level, if you can imagine it, we're just set apart for God as Christians. We've been called, we've been chosen, we've been sealed by his Holy Spirit, and we are set apart. The moment you believed in Jesus Christ, you were made holy. Okay? You were made holy. Not perfect, but you were made holy. You were covered in that righteousness that he might become, you know, that we might become the righteousness of God. We become as holy in God's eyes as Jesus. We're covered in that righteousness that belongs to Jesus. It's a gift to us. It's free. We can't earn it ourselves. And we've been taken from death to life. You know, we've been separated. You know, if you, if you deliberately separate something, it's an act. It has to happen. You need to deliberately go and take it and move it somewhere else. If you're setting something apart, don't touch that. I've set it apart. It's important. It's separate. We do that. It's a deliberate. Well, God has done that with us. We're set apart. Um, we've moved from darkness to light. We've, we, he, we've been made right with God. We're adopted. We're justified. All these theological terms. And they're kind of transcendent. In other words, you can't see them. When you become a Christian, you don't see that you're set apart. 
It's not something that, you know, you can mystically move from one place to another. Now I'm set apart. Or you don't look different. Set apart. But it's almost a transcendence. It's, It's real. But it's not something we can see, but we believe. So we're set apart. Every Christian set apart. You know, you have, you have hope and you have purpose and you have identity and you're loved and you're chosen and you're called. You're set apart. When you came to faith, you responded by repentance and faith to Jesus. You were called. It's a wonderful thing, wonderful truth. And he's calling us through the gospel. We're not Christians. He's calling us to be set apart to him, to come and believe and trust in him. But it means also being set apart from something, doesn't it? If you move from one place to another, if you're separated, you're separated from something. So we're separated from sin and uh, from evil and from darkness in our hearts. Not physically in the world, but in our hearts. So you've got, uh, for God, various verses. I'm just going to quote them quickly. I'll not give you the reference. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Okay? Uh, we're to be uh, an instrument, instrument for noble purposes, made for holy use, useful to the master, doing good works. Don't conform to evil desires, but just, to, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it's written, be holy because I'm holy. Uh, we must turn from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. You see, the emphasis of all the New Testament teaching has this separation from sin, from sinful heart, from sinful uh, behavior. Uh, Repentance and faith takes us to that place. We see the beauty of Christ, and when we see the beauty of Christ, we begin to see the ugliness of our own hearts and of our sinful, selfish, uh, little godlike, broken desires. But we know that that being set apart from sin is no holiday, don't we? It's not a holiday for us in this life. Why? Well, because we, we like the wrong things. By nature, our sinful hearts, is that we like the wrong things. And that remains in us as a battle uh, uh, as we seek to become more holy. We're set apart, but we're also being sanctified, being set apart to be more holy. There is a kind of worldly holiness uh, where people set themselves apart from one another. A kind of tribalism. That's not what we're speaking about. There is holiness, isn't there? A worldly holiness where people just hate one another and gossip and divide and curse and swear and uh, kick each other in on Black Friday to get the best bargain. Do all these kind of unholy things. But it is a form of, of separation. But it's not godly holiness. But we like the wrong things in many ways. And we enter civil war when we become Christians. Civil war with our own hearts. Because the dethroned self in our heart, the dethroned uh, uh, lordship of self, uh, is defeated, but it's not yet destroyed. And for me, the only parallel I can... Well, I'm sure there's many parallels. But one I can think of is, is a bit like the battle we have with uh, wrong appetites. Uh, you know, junk food, liking junk food. Uh, you know, we like junk food. We like lots of really sweet things because they taste great and quick and you know, full of sugar and, and things like that. And it's really difficult sometimes because we're addicted. Our bodies addict to sugar. It's difficult to eat healthily. And that, that becomes a battle then for that. And yet we know it's for our good. Um, 
And at some level, spiritually, it's the same for us. We struggle so often because we like the wrong things. And we think that the healthy things are either boring or, or unattractive to, to do in our lives. Do you think that's unreasonable that we have that battle? We can't think that's unreasonable if we understand the lengths that Jesus went to and the gift that he needs to give us in order to be holy. That is his own Holy Spirit. That's the, the power of the universe is needed to overcome sin. We sometimes skip around and think, oh, it's no problem for us. It's easy. And yet he's given us, he said, I need to give you the third person of the Trinity in your life, in your heart, in order to overcome that. That's how deep the battle is. That's how deep the problem is. And that's the amazing provision he's given us. He's given us his Holy Spirit. It's, it's hard for us because we like so many things. And it's also hard for us because uh, the world in which we live, uh, we're going against the world in which we live. There is a sense in which we become transcendent as Christians. Uh, we, we become other. We become different. We become not like the world. We're going against the tide. Because we think differently. We act differently. We have different ethics. We have different morality. We have a different way of living. And uh, that is a challenge. It's a challenge for us. It's particularly a challenge when the whole of society uh, is kind of no longer sympathetic, even to basic Christian values at some levels. Okay, so it means being set apart. It means being set apart from sin but it also means being set apart to God so you know if you move from one place to another you're leaving something but you have to be going somewhere and and doing uh, something and so we're set apart to God and that's a positive and important side of that and that's really positive you know we need to think of that as a positive we think of the prodigal son you know he returns and his father's there with outstretched arm it's not a it's not a grudging return and uh, he realizes how much he's loved. We are prodigal children and we come to a providing father. And uh, he is a holy God who has done the most beautiful thing at the most ugly event uh, in history at the cross. We're set apart to worship him. That's what we're called to do, to worship the living God. Now that means a, a couple of things, and I'll close with this. It means that our relationship with him is one of worship. We belong. We belong to the living God. You see, if we are to see God as he is, maybe even as he's revealed here, it should be absolutely terrifying. It should be threatening because he is so holy. And what the Bible says is that that will be the case for people uh, at one point in the future who have not given their lives to him, not come to him for salvation. It will be terrifying to see the living God. But in Christ, that terror is transformed. It's Uh, it's tempered and it becomes tempered by grace so that it it turns from terror or it should at least for us to awe a sense of awe at who he is you know like like Isaiah here or like Job when he met with God or like John in Revelation 1 when he sees Jesus Christ he says when I saw him I fell at his feet as dead you know he just he just simply collapsed at the feet of God like as if he was dead. Now we can cry, Abba, Father, because of what Jesus has done. But that doesn't mean that he is a sugar daddy. It doesn't mean that he is a cheap father figure. Because Thomas, when he saw Jesus, says, my Lord and my God. He's still transcendent to us. 
And uh, both in our personal worship and our public worship, there should be that sense of transcendence. We're going to finish our uh, worship today with a, uh, a red doxology. We're going to read the doxology together from Romans chapter 11:32, And it's just a reminder to us of uh, the sense of awe that we should seek to have for God. And I think in our public worship too, you know, we try and we aim and we pray that we do our best, that we perform our best, that we engage in the best way publicly, that we are technically good, that we are professional in our public worship. But we know that none of that, none of that, and not even a smoke machine, would enable us to sense the awe of God. Because that will come from your heart and mine as we reverently understand him and seek not to trivialize or make frivolous or make cheap uh, or make profane our public worship. It must always be reverential. It can be happy. It can be joyful. uh, It can be informal. But as we understand who God is, it will never be trivial and profane. And we can never... never, uh, manufacture that sense of worship it's impossible to do it's about our hearts leading us into holiness and living in holiness because we belong so there's this relationship of holy love with god but we also are encouraged as to our behavior because it's worship as life you know um that that verse in first peter is be holy uh, for I am holy. Because he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I am holy. That's that where he, com- he shares with us this transcendent value of his holiness. He doesn't say, uh, uh, be holy because, uh, or doesn't say, be holy like I am holy. He says, be holy because I am holy. So be separate because he's separate. There's many ways we can't be like him, but we share in that holiness in our separation to him and in the ethical and moral life that we live. Romans 12, one says, set yourself as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual act of worship. So he wants us to live out our lives with Christ as Lord Uh, love for others and ourselves last, that we understand his commandments, that we understand idolatry, that we understand that we're not to abuse him or his day, we're not to be sexually impure, we're not to steal or to lie or to cheat or to covet, we're not to be sexually proud. Sexually proud? (laughs) I I didn't mean that. I was just a reading my notes wrong but don't be sexually proud Uh, just don't be selfishly proud is actually what I meant to say Uh, uh, I'm sure it would reveal itself in in that area Uh, don't lack compassion don't be careless Uh, don't be immovable you know don't be an isolate don't ignore the New Testament unfolding of the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount and in the pastoral epistles and in the, the Gospels. Don't lower the standard because it's too tough. We're set apart. And we're set apart to serve him, uh, to consider our behavior 
and to consider what it means to belong and uh, to be holy. I think it's underplayed today. I think maybe because it's hard, it's tough, and uh, we kind of shrug our shoulders and say, well, it's all about love. And uh, Jesus loves me and he's paid the price. But that inevitably means that we will eschew evil and hate it because it is the opposite of who he is. And we'll not shrug our shoulders and we'll not partner with it. And we will hate every, every uh, atom that is evil uh, and that drives us away from Jesus and from God and from his holiness. And it will be a battle. And in that battle, we need each other. We really do. It's a tough battle, and it's tough to be a Christian on your own. We need one another. And he's called us into family. He's called us into fellowship. He's called us uh, to be an army that fights together. And uh, we do that. We do holiness better together. We really do. And we will then be doing mission. When we're doing holiness, we'll be doing mission. Because we will be reflecting God. And mission is about how we live and uh, our lives triggering the questions that will enable us to share the faith of Jesus and about this God and about this curtain that was ripped in two and about this access to the Father. That will attract the lost world in which we live. Amen. Let's pray briefly together. Father God, we ask and pray that you would help us to understand you better that we would know more about your holiness, that we would be attracted to it. Uh, We thank you that Isaiah speaks, or the revelation is given in Isaiah, before he goes to serve uh, of your holiness. And that vision of your holiness didn't paralyze him, didn't make him separate, didn't make him snobbish, didn't make him... uh, feel that he was better than others because of what he'd seen, but enabled him to serve. And we thank you that it is again repeated in the last book that you have given us in the Bible and is the theme of heaven. And so we ask that you'd help us to be holy. Uh, We know it's a transcendent truth, but we also know it's gritty and everyday. And uh, we pray that you'd help us to be gritty, everyday, holy Christians and that your spirit would fill us up and teach us and guide us and help us and that we would confess and seek forgiveness when we uh, love the things you hate and ignore the things you love and sometimes even hate them. So, Lord, help us, we pray. And we thank you that we are set apart. And we thank you that we are a people that are set apart, not in a proud or arrogant way in any way at all, but in a in a humbling way and in a motivational way. So help us, God, we pray. Amen.